Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. So, what is today? All right, yes. How many of you, to be honest, you came here today because you knew there was a new series? Yeah, some of you? Hey, let's be honest. Well, this is a series that is going to run until December. Yeah, so I'm, gonna, I'm not going to rush with this. When I did Jacob, Jacob's life, I spent six weeks on his life. David, I mean, there's so much more material that we can look at in his life. So I'm going to try to, I'm picking pieces, snippets. And uh, I've spent the last few months, I started even before the summer, uh, preparing for this. So it's been a labor of love. And uh, I feel like, uh, you know, a, a lion that was put in a cage, and now I'm unleashed. The door has been opened on September 10, 2017, and we can get to know him. And the hard part is, I was talking to my brother about this yesterday, the hard part is, he's a character that some of us in here, we think we know everything about him, right? You've heard every, well, I know everything about David's life. Okay. And then you have people on the other side, I really don't know that much about him. So it's always uh, an arduous endeavor when you pick a character like this. Are we good, by the way? Yeah. Uh, picking a character like this and really just trying to cover uh, everything, you know, about their life. So I hope you're ready for this. And I'm actually going to, I'm going to start in a weird place. I'm going to start with one verse at the end of his life, right? And uh, that verse, I I don't want you to turn there. If you have your Bibles, if you're going to use your phone or whatever tablet, or you actually have a hardcover Bible, we will be in 1 Samuel 16, We will not get to actually meet David for a few minutes. So you will have to be patient. This is not a series where I'm looking for the TKO in the first round. This is a Floyd Mayweather series. Um, We're going to go the distance, right? We're going to, I'm going to hit, you know, slow, right? Methodically, we're going to move through his life. And you see the title too of the series, A Relentless Pursuit. And I, I just... This is his life. There's a relentless pursuit after God that you see with this guy, David, right? Time and time again, you see that in his life. And here's the verse I want to just start with. Now, it's the end of his life. This is what he says. I'm only giving you one verse. I could have focused on a lot. I could have started this series in a thousand different ways, trying to keep it simple because I want to get to the meat and I want to get to the really good stuff by the end of this sermon. So he says, you brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. He rescued me because he delighted me. He brings me out into this spacious place. Here is a man, as we get to know him, as we get to know our friend throughout this series, a man that will be on the run from the time he's an adolescent till he's older, right? For a long time. He's going to be hiding out in caves. We're going to meet him in a few weeks at a place called the Dulem. By the way, too, if you miss next week, you're crazy. I have a guest. I'm not telling you who it is. I'm not telling you what they're going to do. You're going to see, I think it's going to be one of the cooler experiences that you've ever had in a sermon before. Uh, and it was not cheap. Um, that's all I'm going to say. But you don't want to miss that. We're not getting to, you may have thought I'm coming in here today and I'm going to hear about David and Goliath on week one. You do not hear the David and Goliath story. And I'm not preaching it probably the way that you think I'm going to preach it. You think you know everything about it. Good. You come on week three and you come on week four because that's when we're going to focus on David and Goliath. Anyway, stop. Focus, Lechi. Focus. So here we are. Um, The reason why I bring this up is because here is a man, this verse, you brought me out into a spacious place. I said he was somebody that is on the run for such a long period of time. The reason why many of us love this character and why it was said that he was a man after God's own heart is because he understood the purposes of God. He understood God's plan for him. He understood how much God ultimately delighted in him despite all of his, his shortfalls despite all of the grievous sins that he had in his life, which we will get to later on in the series. Obviously, Bathsheba. Give you an interesting sermon on Bathsheba. Probably a little different even than what you're going to expect. But here is somebody that really understood who God was, and he understood the covenant relationship that he had with God. Every time he fell, he got back up and got back in the race because he knew that God ultimately delighted in him. If we actually, and I said this last week, can I just repeat it? A.W. Tozer? Tozer said, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. 
And I would say, David, what came into his mind is that God loved him despite the fact that he would fall time and time again. He understood that there was a God who loved him unconditionally. Now, with that as a background, can we roll into 1 Samuel 16? I've read this maybe 500 times in the last few months, just reading it over, the whole chapter, just over and over and over again. It's amazing when you read something that you've read a thousand times, but you still, give me some, give me another resource that is as inexhaustible as the Bible is. Come on, give me something that you can read that many times and still get something from. Sorry, lovely wife, you teach Shakespeare in school. I can read Shakespeare a couple of hundred times and eventually I've exhausted everything I can get from, I don't know, Macbeth or Hamlet, right? But when we read the Bible, you, can't, you, you could spend a lifetime reading it and you still would not get everything that there is to understand about God's truths and who he is. So we start first verse. Here it is, right? And the first verse, 1 Samuel 16, 1, we have a problem, we have a problem up there? We're good? I don't see the verse. You just go to it. 1 Samuel 16, 1. Thank you. 1 Samuel 16, 1, I thought that we had a power outage there for a second. No, the, the, the screen's not working. Get, where's my Bible? I'll ju we'll just read it together. I'm going to go the old-fashioned way. Is that all right? They're just testing me to make sure that I'm actually on my game. It just shut down on you? Hey, that's all right. We don't care. We just roll with it. First Samuel 16.1. Going back to the 1980s. Pastor Linda style. Now the Lord said to Samuel, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. So as I said, we're not even starting with David. We're starting before David. We're starting with this guy, Saul. And there's another king that is on the throne. And it's important. Let me do some of the background information because to, to understand the background and the history, it's really going to help you. I have a bomb that I want to unleash later on, but I don't even know if I'm going to unleash it because it's a cool part of David's story, but it's very complicated and convoluted. So if you help me preach, maybe I'll give it to you. If you don't, I'm not giving it to you. All right, that's the truth. I'm being absolutely honest with you. I won't. Because if you're not totally with me, you won't get it and I'll put you to sleep. The end is worth it, but hey, nonetheless. So here, this is what it says in 1 Samuel 16, 1. He's saying, listen, Samuel, the prophet, who's the prophet? I'm done with this guy, Saul. God said to the people of Israel, I, oh, you're good. We have it up there. Beautiful. I don't want you, I don't want you to have somebody be a king. I want to be your king. But the people of Israel said, no, 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 no. We need a king. So there they are. This guy Samuel is the prophet. And, and it's so interesting when you think about this guy Saul, who is the king before David. Now, David is not going to be the king for many years. Over 15 years from now, he's not going to be the king for a while. He's not going to fight David and Goliath. We get to today for four years after I end. At the end of the sermon, it's going to be four years before he actually goes up in the Valley of Elon. and he goes up against Goliath. So I don't know in your mind what you have pictures, but just want to give you some of the history behind that. And here is a king, Saul, who has all the external things one would look for. He is tall and he is handsome. How many of you are students of American history? Being an American history teacher too, I had to kind of tie this in. Let's see how good you are. Let's see who can get this first. Ready? Here we go. Ready? Here we go. Who, can, who knows who this is? This is a president. One of the worst presidents in the history of our country. I have some history teachers in the room. Who said that? Harding. Yes, very good. Warren G. Harding. How many of you are familiar with, you've heard what is known as the Warren G. Harding effect? You've heard that term before. All right. Okay. It's all good. That's what I'm here for, right? I'm here to teach you. The Warren G. Harding effect was he was president post-World War I, early 1920s. The Republicans put him up. There was nothing that was quite distinguishing, nothing prolific this guy did really in politics. Do you know why he was elected? Do you know what the Warren G. Harding effect was? He was tall and he was handsome and he was charismatic. I don't think he's very handsome, but maybe you do. Women, you think he's handsome? Don't you say he's handsome. I'm married to you, woman. 
Right? You think this guy's handsome? Yeah, all right. Some of you think he's handsome. All right, yeah, okay. Pastor D. Some of the older people think he's handsome. Very dis- you should have said distinguished. She said that, not me. Don't get mad at the preacher. So the Warren G. Harding effect is, right? He gets elected only for that. I bring that up because that's what's really going on with this guy, Saul. He has all of the external characteristics that you would look for in a CEO, in a king. He looks like he's very kingly. He's tall. He's handsome. Of course he should be the king. But God said, you know what? I'm done with this guy, Saul, that you people picked. I didn't pick this guy. You wanted a king, and you picked him, and he hasn't followed all of my commands. He hasn't done everything that I told him to do. So guess what? I'm washing my hands of Saul, and I'm going to pick my own king. I'm going to make my own choice, and I'm not going to confer with you, Samuel. I'm not going to confer with the people of Israel. I'm going to pick my own guy. Now, we know at this point who the king is going to be. Does Samuel know? Does Samuel know at this point in the story? Of course he doesn't know at this point in the story. And what's wild to me, too, is, isn't it wild how sometimes God, he doesn't treat us like robots. He gives us permission to make our own choices. I love the fact that he let the children, oh, you want to have a king? Go ahead, choose whom you want. Go, Go ahead, anybody. Pick anybody you want. And they pick this guy... Have you ever noticed in life sometimes that you want something so bad and you pray for it? And God says, I'm really not in it, but you pray for it. And then you get the thing that you wanted only to find out when you got the thing you wanted, you really don't want it. How many times? Come on, come on, real, right? How many times have you got something and you said, man, I really didn't want this. And here you have to see this in the beginning of the story. How much time, you probably read this a thousand times, how many, how much time do you think, as I'm reading some going, how much time did the prophet Samuel spend with Saul? He has invested a lot. He has prayed for him. He's like, God, this is our guy. We, come on, this is our guy. You have to bless this guy. Have you ever invested in somebody? It could be a Christian or somebody even at work. You've invested so much in them and you're like, something happens and they kind of let you down. But you're like, I've invested way too much in this. I have to see this through. You know what I'm talking about? How about a sports analogy, right? Today's the first football Sunday. Somebody, a team, I didn't plan this, but it just makes sense to me. A team invests in a draft pick like the Jets. They always make bad picks. And they get some quarterback that stinks. And then they say, well, we invested in this guy. We've got a high draft pick, so we have to let the guy play. Some of you are like, really? All right, I, I don't really come here for a football. And by the way, listen, if my sermon goes a little bit over today, the Giants are on at 8.30. The Jets are on at 1 o'clock. This is the only time right now of the season that the Jets will not have a losing record. Enjoy it. <laughs> it's true, right? It's true. I know some of you are like, man, that's not good. You're the preacher. You're supposed to have some hope. Not really. Not really. And listen, this is one of the most powerful passages of Scripture that many of us don't ever talk about. I've never heard it preached, but I think so. When, it's, when God says there, right, when God says, how long will you mourn for Saul? How long will you mourn for Saul? He doesn't know it yet again, but he has a better choice, and the better choice is coming. Can we keep it a secret from, from Samuel? Can you keep a secret? I don't want him to know yet. It's David. It's David. But don't tell him. Let him find out a little bit later on. What do you think it was like for him to go to the house of Jesse, who is the father of David? He's going there going, man, Saul is our guy. I know he's made some mistakes. Who can you possibly pick that is going to be better than he is? And I wonder if there are some of us today that are in this room that are mourning over things and seasons and things that have happened in our lives and you're mourning for something and God says, I'm no longer in that. I'm waiting for you to move on from that. I'm waiting you to... For, how come you're spending eight years focused on something that happened in your past? God talked to me this week. Why are you spending time on things that are in your past that I don't focus on anymore? How about focusing on what will happen in the future? A modern rendering of, of 1 Samuel 16? How many people? Are, you're, you're sitting on your ex's Facebook page. Get off their page! 
Stop! How many things? Maybe you got a divorce and you're sitting there and you're saying, you know what? I'm still focused on that. I'm not saying you don't care about that. I'm not saying you don't mourn that. I'm saying to you, though, there may be a new season, a new time, a new day. And God is saying, forget that which is past. It's time to move ahead because the prophet is coming. Samuel is coming. God says to you today, City on a Hill Community Church, I am coming and I have a ram's horn and it's full of oil, and I want to anoint you. I want to anoint your life. I want to pour out my spirit on your life. I want to move you in a new direction, baby. Come on, how many of us are stuck? Don't compromise your destiny by getting stuck in your history, please. Don't compromise what God wants to do in your future, getting stuck on what has happened in your past. That's your history. That's your history. Move ahead into what God wants to do. A new thing in your life. Don't get stuck on Saul. What could have been in my life? I could have made it. I could have been a professional. Whatever. Actor. I could have been a professional. How many people? Like American Idol? Listen, you're 35 years old and you're still trying to think that you're going to make it big and you want to go on American Idol or another show. That day is over. People that's on my history team. Listen, I'm a teacher. I see kids. They get older. They're in their 20s. They come back and visit me and they're still talking about their exploits from high school football. And I want to go, are you kidding me? Time to move on. That was in the past. New season of life. How many of us are stuck on Saul? Can you see why I had to start here? Can't just roll into David. How many of us are stuck? Stuck. Stagnant. Can't move. Focused on something in the past. And here comes the prophet. And he has, this is a, and I'm going to get to this even in more detail in a little bit. Now, this is a ramson. This is a shofar. And many of you, I've used this in church before. I've used it in sermons. When, when Saul came, he's packing oil. He's not, right? He's packing oil. He would have had this, I don't know how, his robe and whatever. When, he's, when he came with this. But he had one that looked like this. I literally, listen to me. I literally wanted to set up the stage and have real oil and pour oil. I would have made a mess. How mad would you have been, right? If I did, I wanted to play it out, but I knew Pastor Linda would not be happy. Two things. So the prophet would have, he would have came with this, right? He, was, he, would, he would have this ram's horn, fill it with oil, and literally anointing somebody was pouring the oil on their head, getting all greasy, right? Going down on their shoulders, all over their robe, all the way down to their feet, their sandals. I don't know what your picture was of what in the Bible talks time and time again, different ways, different stories of people that got anointed. That's historically what would happen when somebody was anointed. Two, it represents two things when somebody was anointed. One, enablement and empowerment to do God's will. And then number two, enthusiasm to do that which God has called the person to do, the prophet, namely in this instance. I'm empowering you to do something. God's spirit is going to be on your life. God's going to do something with you. And then an enthusiasm, because when somebody was anointed, it was usually in the context of community. Usually there were people there that were going to see this and they were going to watch this and they were going to know, oh, this is God's anointed one. Can I still continue? I, I, I read... I read an interview. How many of you know Rick Warren? Rick Warren. You know the name Rick Warren? Rick Warren is one of the, if you don't know, Rick Warren is one of the leading pastors, right, in, uh, in the distinguished age category, okay? Not my generation. I'm a little bit younger, right? But Pastor Warren is in Saddleback Church in California. And it's interesting because if, you probably heard this a few years ago. He lost uh, a child, a son, to uh, suicide. He was mentally ill for many years. How many of you heard that story before? It was all over the news. And what was so riveting about this article that I read in this interview in a journal was Rick Warren talked about how many people derided him, criticized him, disparaged him after his son committed suicide and took his own life. Is that sickening? Is that hard to believe? Somebody that was, right? I mean, for a long period of time, this happened. And Rick talked about how hard it was, how difficult it was 
when he realized, hey, look, I eventually have to get in the pulpit. I'm never going to be ready to get into the pulpit. I am still mourning over the loss of my son, but I need to move on. Just because I'm mourning doesn't mean I can't move on. Am I preaching to somebody here this morning? If you are mourning, you can still mourn about what happened. But he said, I have to move on. And here was the best part of of the interview. What was wild is he said, the devil messed with the wrong guy. Woo! He said, no, no, you don't even hear the best part. The devil messed with the wrong guy. He said, I'm going to spend the rest of my life helping those people that suffer from mental illness. He messed with the wrong guy because now I'm going to be singularly focused on helping people that were in the same condition as my son. Yes, I'm still mourning. I'm still hurting. What could have been, what should have been, what would have been. But listen to me. I'm going to take my ram's horn. I'm going to, where is my, there it is. I'm going to take what I have left. My life is broken. My life is in pieces, but I'm going to lift up what's left of my life and say, God, fill my horn with oil and anoint me to do a new thing in my life. Somebody's life in this place. You know, sometimes I wish I was at a black church. I'm serious. Somebody said to me, listen to me. Jamal said to me the other day, you know what? Jamal and Leslie, what did you tell me? Maybe it was last week or the week before. I think I have a little black in me. I want it. I don't care. Listen, I don't care. Why do you have to act all proper? And, oh, I'm in church. Listen, I told you. I do. That's right, I do. I want it. I want more. Sometimes I wish I was at a church where people would, yeah, you would holler a little bit more. This is my personality. I've tried to fight it. This is who I am. You don't like me as a preacher? Go, go listen to somebody else down there that's going to execute. And in First Corinthians... You can, that's great. That's all. That's not me. There's a passion. That's why this is like what I'm even preaching. Am I going to get in trouble for saying that today? It's true. It's true. Listen. Focus. I really think, last point on this, and I'm going to move on and get to the David stuff, but I really think there's somebody in here that you need to bury a dream. You really do. You've got to bury a dream that died. You've got to bury that. Put it away and then move on into the newness of life. Bury that dream and see what God wants to do in your life in 2017. I know it's not the new year. I know it's more towards the end of 2017. But I really think that God wants to do something. And listen, I don't know about you, but you know what I've been praying? I said, you know what, Satan? You're not taking one more drop of oil from my life. You're not taking any more oil from my life. I walked with my wife this past week. We started a new thing at night. After the kids go to bed, we walk around the neighborhood. And there was one night, and I'm just sitting around, right, Megan? And and it was so beautiful outside, and it was so nice. And we looked, and I'm like, can't you just feel God in the wind? Can't you see God everywhere around you? We just started to pray a little bit. And in my head, I'm going, listen, devil, you try to stop us from praying. You try to stop me from standing for my family, for my church. And I know he's doing the same thing to you. Not one more drop of oil. Not one. One more drop of oil. You're not having any more. Horn, you sit here for a little bit. Let's move on. You ready to move on in this text? Because I got more good stuff. Can you stay with... Can you... Oh, you yeah, yeah. All right, good. Bye, no, we don't want him anymore. All right, and Samuel said, how can I go? So he's like, I don't want to do this. I still want Saul. Lord, really? This is crazy. How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me, which makes sense, right? You're the king. You're going to anoint, what, another person to be king? I don't think so. Not on my watch. So you can understand the fear and trepidation. But the Lord said, take a heifer with you. I won't go there. I'll let that go. And say, I have some to sacrifice to the, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I name to you. I will show you what to do. Jesse, 
just, just don't worry. You're going to Jesse's. Samuel, just fill your horn. Follow what I'm telling you to do, and you're going to be okay. One more little thing. This is in antiquity, right? This is what they did. This is what they used. I know we look at it in our day. It seems kind of weird, but it's a sign or a symbol for everyone again, using a ram's horn, filling it with oil, that this is God's chosen one. This is God's anointed. You look at all of antiquity. This is what prophets did. This is what they did. They would come. They're going to anoint him. So he goes. Then you go in four and five. Now we're going to start to roll a little bit. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And the leaders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Do you come peaceably? God doesn't always come and give you a a nice word. Oh, God's going to give me such a good word this morning. It's going to be so uplifting. They're fearful. Oh, my God, the prophet's coming. Did we do anything wrong? You better go find out before he gets here. Right? So they're worried, and understandably so. And he said, peaceably. Ah. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Woo, things are starting to get interesting. So here he is, right? He then says, get your boys, Jesse. And and, and if you're Jesse, what are you thinking at this point? Oh my gosh, the prophet has come. Look, boys, you better go inside and get dressed. You better put your best robes on. Get the dirt off you. Right? Really, think about it. Now, I, you have to have an imagination. I tell you that all the time. What was it like for those boys? They were probably so excited, more excited than, than a girl going to a prom or what, a marriage. Or, like the prophet's here. Oh, oh, they run inside and they get ready. And he lines up all seven of his boys. Right? Here they are. Here they are, prophet. Here are all of my sons. What do you want? Right? And we're going to come back to verse 5 later. And then in verse, look at 6 and 7. Now, it just don't you love the Bible? Don't you love stories in the Bible? Some of you don't look like, but that's okay. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Eliab, you had me at hello. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Woo! One of the best verses, right? In the Bible, I'm sure many of us know it. Sure, many of us know this. And here it is, right? Here he is. He he, he looks at the first guy, Eliab. This is Jesse's big dog. Right? He thinks, surely this is going to be the one. This has to be the guy. Lord, this has to... And God's like, dude, listen to me. You're the same one. You're the same guy that picked Saul. You are the same people. You Get out of the way. Let me make the choice on this one. And then you go into 8, look, 8 through 10. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse's like, come on, next, man, next. Let's go, move it. He said, Shammah passed by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. So he goes from one down the list, right? Imagine he goes to number one. No. Number two, nada. Number three, uh uh-uh. Number four, nine. Number five, nah. Number six, didn't I tell you none of these? None of them. He doesn't pick any of them. And you know what's wild to me is he goes through seven. You know what seven represents in the Bible? Completion. Do you know what the number eight represents? Because the title of the first sermon is number eight. Oh, the number eight. Number eight in the Bible represents new beginnings. Because God is saying to the prophet and he's saying to the children of Israel, Oh yeah, you think you're complete? You've made a complete mess of things. I don't want any of these seven. I want somebody else. And there is, I think there's another child that Jesse has. I think he has another son, but he's not there with them. And number eight again, you didn't hear it because you would have shattered if you heard it. It means new beginnings. God is saying, I'm starting something new with the children of Israel. Woo! Amen. Somebody got it. Somebody got it. And then you go to verse 11. Look in verse 11. Keep moving with me. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? Are they all here? Really? Yeah, I'll tell you what. They're all here. At least the ones I think are important. 
Yeah, yeah, all the ones I think, they're all here. Look, my seven kids right here. They're all the boys that I have that are important. They're all here. <laughs> then he said, there remains yet, oh, 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 there remains yet the youngest. And there he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. Oh, the one that is hidden in the field, the one that the father doesn't want anyone to pay attention to, the one that nobody has liked, his brothers despised him, his dad doesn't like him. You go to Psalm 51, go to Psalm 51, which is the, by the way, I'm going off, I'm digressing a little bit. Did you know, well, let me, I should ask you, who is the greatest rapper of all time? Who is the greatest rapper of all time? Don't get religious. Who's the greatest rapper of all time? Biggie. Biggie. Biggie's got to be on the list, right? Biggie, right? Maybe you're like, I'm in church talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm asking you this question. Uh, uh, what's the guy's name that's in Cuba? What's his name? He's not there anymore after, what? What's his name? No, the guy that, he died. That Everyone says he's like in Latin. Tupac. Yeah, it's not Tupac, right? Come on, give me another name. Who's the guy now? Kendrick? It's not Kendrick. Right? It's none of those guys. It's David. 3,000. I'm not kidding. He's the greatest rapper in the history of the world for 3,000 years. His bars have been, he's been writing bars, right? Right. His bars have been lighting the world up on fire. The greatest the world has ever seen. Come on, 3,000 years. We're still talking about his psalms. Still talking about his songs. Are you kidding me? You, I had a point. You didn't think I had a point. I had a point. <laughs> you knew exactly what I was doing with that. Anyway, here is David. What is the... Look at, look at the... Send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. The one who is hidden in the field gets a standing invitation. They will not wait until... They will not sit down until he comes. How come sometimes God says, you know what? Yeah, your plan A is really good, but let's just kind of put that to the side because I have another plan. My plan is better and trumps your plan. But that was really nice that you tried and you brought your seven sons out and you thought one of them was going to be the anointed one. But I have another plan and I'm looking at number eight. And number eight was the one that was the runt of the family. Uh, Caleb, are you here today? You didn't even know I was going to call on you. I didn't even tell you, Dad. Can you come here for a second? Come here, because I know you're not shy. Come here. Tell everybody how old you are. Ten. Ten years old. Scholars believe that David, at this point in his life, when he's out in the field, is between the ages of 10 and 13 years old. I bring this boy up because I want to give you a visual picture of what David looked like. David probably had a high-pitched voice a little bit. He's still developing. He is not a man yet. You may think he comes in the... Thanks, bud. You did a great job. He comes in from the field. Give him a hand. That's right. You may think... You may, th you may have thought when you read the story, oh my gosh, David must have been older. He's a real man when he comes in the house and he strides in the house. Yes, Dad. What can I help you with? And he's got bulging biceps. He's like a young kid. Daddy, what do you need me, Daddy? Daddy, what do you want? What do you need, Dad? He's a kid. Now, here's the part. I don't know. I'm still feeling you out. Maybe I'll give you the abbreviated version. If this was a Bible study, I would spend the next 10 or 15 minutes. Do you want to know why he's hidden out in the field? Yes. You want to know why he's hidden out in the field? I'm going to put somebody to sleep with this story. Is that all right? Okay. All right. I don't usually go this long asking. Here it is. I'll, I pro I'll try to just give you. Past I told Pastor Linda the story and she's like, it's really convoluted. It's really hard to follow. And I'm like, yeah, I know. Normally I would never put this story in a sermon. But I think, I don't know. I felt this morning it kind of, it sets you up for the rest of the series to see who David really is. Can I, can I give you a little history? All right. I got to go to my last slide because I don't know if I was going to do this. And then I'll go backwards. This is awesome. Just going, I'm going off the grid. All right. And I like this. Again, you may have to listen to the podcast to try to get all this again. So if you get lost a little bit, and you're like, I'm like a tumbleweed and I don't know where I am. Just listen to the podcast and try to get it later on. Because I knew too. You know what I knew? I knew if I said, I'm not going to give you this story, but it's a really cool story. What happens after the meeting? Or at least in my dreams as a preacher, that somebody comes up and asks, can you give me the story of what? All right. So here's the deal. Some of you like history. I love that you love history as much as I do. All right, or you pretend to do. Where's my little red dot? All right, it goes all the way back to Boaz and Ruth. 
Now, again, please, if you don't know the Bible, just try to follow it. Maybe ask somebody else, or I, I can clarify after. If you're like, I really want to know more. I don't know that much about the Bible. That's cool. Boaz and Ruth. Remember those people from the Old Testament, right? Now, Boaz is what? Is he an Israelite? Yes, he's an Israelite. Who was Ruth? She was a? Moabite. Good. This is a good class. All right. She is a Moabite. That's right. It's on the screen. How many times I do that as a teacher? You know how many times I do that? Christian's like, it's right behind you. How many times are you in a classroom, right? You know what I'm talking about? Kids are like, it's right on the screen. I'm like, oh, I forgot. That's good, though. You're paying attention. So these two, if you remember, my kinsman redeemer, I did a whole series on the book of Ruth. I walked you through the book of Ruth. What was wild about this story is Jewish historians, this is not in the Bible, this is Jewish scholars and Jewish historians, you can look it up if you like, they believe in Jewish law, a Jewish woman was forbade, not allowed, to marry somebody that was not Jewish. You with me? Couldn't marry somebody that's not Jewish. The Jewish law, it didn't say much about a Jewish man marrying a woman that wasn't Jewish. You with me so far? Okay, so what's interesting, Jewish scholars believe that when Ruth and Boaz actually got married, he died on the night of their wedding. She will conceive and have a child, but he died. This is, again, this is not in the Bible. This is Jewish historians and scholars. Don't get like, like, this is not in the Bible. Jewish history, okay? And they believe he died signaling to everybody it was forbade. You weren't supposed to be with this woman. Are you with me? Why is that? Because the Moabites were mean to the Israelites when they came out of Egypt, out of slavery. They didn't treat them well. So they were not, they were forbade from doing that. You with me on the first, there's only the first part. You want more? You want more? Can you handle David's truth? All right. Then part two is they have a child. The child, he dies but she conceives and has a child. His name is Obed. Obed then has a son. His name is Jesse. Jesse is David's father. Obed is David's grandfather. Class, you're doing well. I'm looking at feet, heads nod. I'm impressed. And, and then you go all the way up top. Boaz is his great-grandfather. Isn't that kind of cool? Boaz is David's great-grandfather. Now, here's where the story gets really interesting. Jesse has seven boys. Jesse started to worry and he starts to think, is my bloodline tainted because of what happened with my great-grandfather? He knew this story that his great-grandfather died, right? When he had relations with Ruth. So he's saying, does that mean he wrestled with this? I have seven boys, but I'm worried that my bloodline is tainted. Still with me? Okay. All right. Now, from there, he devises a plan. Do you remember Abraham? I told you, a lot of history. Remember Abraham? What did Abraham do? Abraham, he had relations with a Canaanite maidservant. You remember that part? I can't give you the whole story. I just got to give you a little bit. He, this guy, uh, Jesse, says, I'm going to do the same exact thing. He's, Jesse is married to a woman. Her, you don't have to really know this, but her name is Nisbeth. So they have these seven kids together. Great name, right? You're thinking, it's a great name, Nisbeth. So Nisbeth and Jesse have seven boys. Jesse says, I'm going to pull what Abraham did. I'm going to get a Canaanite maidservant, and I'm going to have a child with the Canaanite maidservant who became a Jewish follower. Jewish law allowed him to then have relations that would have made his bloodline clean. Did you get that part? That's good. I'm really trying to simplify as much as I can. So what's so wild about this, we just did a series on Jacob. Remember Rachel and Leah? Well, Nisbeth and the maidservant that Jesse wants to have relations with and, and have a child that he knows is pure, right, in the eyes of God, the maidservant goes to Nisbeth and she says, I can't do this to you. There's no way that I can do this to you. So what do they do? They pull a, a Leah and Rachel. She, he thinks he's sleeping with the wife. Because before this, he said, I'm not, I'm, for, I'm not having sexual relations with Nisbeth anymore. He didn't have relations with her for a long time. So he knew, how could Nisbeth ever get pregnant? He has relations one night. He thinks it's with the maidservant, but the maidservant, they switched, and it was the wife. He was probably inebriated, right? That's what Jewish scholars believe. Didn't know. And the next day, after that, he thinks something happened. But then he sees down the road who is pregnant. Not the maidservant, but Nisbeth. Nisbeth is pregnant. The wife is pregnant. How did she get pregnant 
when I have not had relations with her. So now Jesse, the husband, thinks that she has been involved in an adulterous relationship. The seven boys, according to Jewish history, they want to stone the mom. We want to stone her. But the father says, no, I love her so much. We can't stone her. We're just going to hide this child who is none other than David. Now that you understand a little bit of the history, can you understand why David says in Psalm 51 that I was born, conceived in iniquity? Now you understand Psalm 51. Now you, you understand why I had to tell you that story. Now you understand why he's hiding in a field. Did you ever wonder, why did the father, what would it have hurt to just bring him in? Just bring him in. Who cares? If it's Eliab, whatever, you can hashtag David onto it if he's going to be the one. Why do you have to do that? Why did you do that to David? Because the father, Jesse, knew. He said, I'm going to hide this boy that I don't really want anything to do with, but I don't want anyone to find out that, that my wife has been in an adulterous relationship because it'll bring shame on her and it'll bring shame on me. It'll bring shame on my whole, whole family. Well, I'm here to preach a little bit right now because if I remember correctly, Jesus, when he was in the world and Jesus taught, they called him the son of David. And there were whispers about Jesus too, about who his mom was and that she was involved in an adulterous relationship. Now I understand why he could identify with David and say he was the son of David. Why people said that because he understood what it was like for people to whisper, for people to criticize him. Do you see who this David guy is now? I told you, I'm on, I, listen, I'm out of the cage. I'm out. There's no going back. Can you take me to John? Take me to 16, uh, 12. I don't even know what slide I'm at. I'm so glad I did that because you really were with me. I, I love you for that. You made it so much easier to preach that. Now look at 12. So he sent and brought him in, right? This is, remember, he's out in the field. He's not in the house. Everybody else is there. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and, and good looking. Didn't it just, wait, isn't this a contradiction? Devin, do you remember in verse 7, didn't it say that God doesn't look at the outer appearance? He doesn't look at physical stature. Why the heck? He's not, he, listen, he's like, I'm just throwing this in. All seven boys, every scholar agrees with this, all seven boys that were lined up were good looking boys. And he's like, listen, I'm just kind of throwing that in there too. Outward appearance doesn't really mean anything. Sometimes it can, but in this case, I didn't pick him because he's a good looking boy. Because he has red hair and he has bright eyes and the women like him. That's not why I picked him. I picked him because I saw something that's inside. And that makes me think of the Apostle Paul because the Apostle Paul says there are parts of the body that we can't see that are more important than the parts of the body that you can see. I don't need my, you cut my, pink, Pastor Joe, cut my pinky off right now. Okay. He's ready to do it. You cut my pinky off right now. Listen, it's a flesh wound, right? I'm going to bleed a little bit, but I'm going to still preach, baby. You take my liver out, ugh, I'm not going to keep going. There are certain parts of the body that you don't see. Listen to me. Can I talk a little, can I just preach a little bit, to, a little bit more? Where is he? Where, where's mom? Where's your husband? Where's Lebo? Where is he? Lebo, don't try to hide in the back. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Because God gave me this this morning at the gym. God gives me my best stuff at the gym. He wrecks my sermons. I come home and I'm wrecking. I'm just changing stuff like crazy. And God, Lee, puts you on my heart. Let me tell you something. You think it's always the people that are up here with the microphone and we're the ones, right? The people that you see. Oh, great. And listen, I spent a lot of time in pastor. We spent a lot of, I can't tell you how many hours I spent on sermon preparation. I'm not sure. We all do. Listen, anybody that's up here speaking, that guy back here, Lebo, come here for a second. Just Lebo, come on. Then I'm coming to you. Then I'll go to you. Let me tell you something. She's so cute, by the way. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Since I was a little kid, there's never been a week that this guy was not setting up the old church or setting up this church. This guy has been the most faithful servant ever in this place. And I love you for that. Because we're always looking at the people that are up in front. This place doesn't work without Lee Walcott. That guy would take a bullet from my parents. There were times at meetings and I'd see that guy like a pit bull. And he was ready to jump on people. And he was ready to attack. And Pastor Joe would be like, Dad, Lebo, back. Back, Lebo, back. Servanthood. Am I lying? Servanthood. Where are the servants? You know what makes it, you know what makes it hard for me? 
Well, I love the church so much, but what we need more of? Where are the hearts? Where are people that say, I want to serve in whatever capacity it is? We don't just want volunteers. We don't just want you to... I love the seat that you're sitting in, but there are ministries and things that have to get done in this place. You have a purpose. You have a calling. And I could go around the list, but I'm not, because you know why? That guy deserves his own Sunday. That guy deserves his own week where we just sing his praises. It didn't matter if there was a tornado. It didn't matter if there was a hurricane, rain, snow, sleet. That guy was here setting up. Hey, Lee, I need you to do me a favor. Boom, I'm there. Hey, Lee, can you drive this guy? Can you do this? The guy was there. Where's that kind of attitude in the church? Whatever it takes, I'm all in. Lee Walcott has it. Back to my story. So here's David, right? Stop it. Arise and anoint him. Samuel, God says, this is the one. Arise and anoint him. The guy that wasn't even in the showroom, Steve. David's not even in the showroom. He wasn't even in the showroom. You look at all the, look at these beautiful boys. He's not in the showroom. The one that wasn't in the showroom is the one that God says, I want him. Can you imagine? Can I get a little more imagination? I'm thinking about it this week and I'm going, what was it like for Samuel? And he's like, they're having an inner dialogue. This con- by the way, this conversation, this probably most, God- this is not audible. We're like, God, I don't really, you know, like, and everyone's like, really? What's going on? Like, this is an inner dialogue that they're having, the conversation that they're having. And that's the same thing with us. You pray sometimes, right, Pastor? The whole definition of what prayers we think we have to verbalize things. I'm praying all the time. It's just I'm not saying. I'm, I'm talking in my spirit. I'm praying, right? So here he is, and I imagine him having the conversation. This is the one that. Wait, wait. This is the one that you want. If I am making a list and I'm taking every person in all of Israel, this dude is not on my list. He is a kid. He is dirty. But aren't you glad God doesn't use nominating committees? Aren't you glad God doesn't care what we think? Aren't you glad that God says, I want the one that was left out, the one that was hidden in the field? That's the one I'm going to take. That's the one I'm going to make to be the greatest king in the history of Israel. The one that you didn't want. The one that you neglected. The one that people whispered at. The one that his brothers attacked. That's the one I'll use. Man, God, you blow our minds sometimes. And what is it like as he walks to the house? For the last time before he's anointed, what does that walk like? I see the 10, right, the 10-year-old kid. Right, Caleb? Caleb, right? I see a 10-year-old kid, and he walks in us. What does he look like? I need you to see this. He's got dust and dirt all over him. He has sheep dung on him. <gasps> yeah, he does, right? He's dirty, he's smelly, and he's filthy. Compare him to the seven boys that are lined up, right? The seven boys that are lined up are clean as can be. You know what we think sometimes? We think sometimes that we have to... God, God, you have to anoint me right now so so things can happen. And God says, no, you, you need to understand something. I'm not anointing you to be a finished work right now. It's going to take time down the road for you to be a finished work. I'm anointing you so as time goes on, you can be a finished work. It's not going to be overnight. It's going to be a process because I want you to see and understand in this story when David is going to leave here, when he leaves, he's going to leave and he's going to have to go back to the sheep field. I don't see, there's not throngs of people going, King David is here. King, where are the people? You don't see legions of people. It's going to take time. And David, listen to me. David is hidden in the field, and I love it. I could go on and on about the the way I see the story. But even, I didn't really finish it. Can I finish it a little more? When he walks in the house, can't you just see the dad like, David! Yo, David! Uncle Paul, remember we were young? I was, Keith, I was thinking about it too, right? My uncle, my cousins lived down the street, and you'd always hear that very distinct, do it, give it to us, give it to us. <laughs> you don't want to, come on, who cares? We don't care. You don't want to, all right, all right. But the whistle, right? You remember the whistle? It was an, and you, we, we would stop right away. Like, dude, you got to go home. <laughs> dude, I'm sorry, dude, it's, we're playing 21. It could have been 14, whatever the score was. Dude, you got to go. Like, see you later. Can't you picture? Can't you picture him? Yo, David! Some guy wants to see you! I don't know why he wants to see you, but he does. He's probably going to tell you to go back into the sheep field, but just come in for a second. And here's the kid. He comes in the house, right? Right? Think, come on, real, real history. What was it like when he came in the house? He's like, yeah, Dad, you wanted me? He sees a man standing in front of him. He doesn't know who this guy is. Who are you? Who are you? He's the one. The Matrix. He's the one. And he takes his ram horn, and he fills it with oil, 
And friends, I want you to see it. He pours all of that oil on David's head in front of his seven brothers, in front of the dad that shamed him and said, you're worthless. Let me tell you something. I can identify with David because I was never somebody that was ever going to be a preacher. I tell you all the time, least likely in the Lecce home, least likely in all the youth growing up as a kid. And some of you are laughing because you know it's true. Least likely to be on a platform preaching for God. And not that I was neglected, but not somebody anybody would have ever looked at and said, that's going to be the preacher. Pastor Linda, Pastor Joe were like, this is our preacher. He's going to take over the church one day. No, they were worried. They were like, is this boy going to graduate high school? Right? <laughs> graduate. Listen to me. I went to private school, but I'm proud. I graduated at the bottom of my class. The bottom. There's hope for you and your kids. There's hope. There's hope for me. There's hope for your kids. The times I got in trouble, I still can't believe I graduated from that place. I raised hell. And Mrs. Cannis is on the board there now. You know what's so funny? I've been back there to speak, and I meet people, and they still don't get it. And if I ever speak there, they're like, wait, is this, this are you real? Is this, are you really James Lecce? Is this somebody? Like, come on, you're pulling my leg. I don't know. And listen, it's just God picks people sometimes that you would never, ever think. I'm more unqualified than any of you in here to be doing this. But one day, God put his hand on my life. I don't know. Didn't ask for it. Didn't want it. I still sit there as I'm preaching my sermons. As I'm preparing, I'm going, God, couldn't you pick John? Couldn't you pick the smart one? The one that went to law school? Couldn't you pick my sister? The one that loves to talk? Why did you pick me? Don't tell her I said that. I promise I'm almost done. I promise. I didn't say that. Scott, I didn't say that. Anything you want after. Let me know how much it's going to cost. Now listen. Just because he was invisible in the field doesn't mean he wasn't valuable. And I want to say to you this morning here today, there's somebody that's in this house because I know what it's like to feel invisible, not in my house, but just to feel like, God, what are you going to do with me? Look at me. I'm a mess in so many different ways. And God says, listen, just because you seem invisible doesn't mean you're not valuable. I see all of the work you're doing. And you know what's wild too? I was thinking about it. You know, Matt, Matt, follow this. We hide things that are valuable that we, things that we really like, we hide them, right? Things that, we, that have a lot of value to us, you follow me? We hide them because we don't want anyone to have them. When I was growing up, sorry, John, when I was growing up, my sister and I, when it came to food, right? That boy would eat the cookie crisps. He would eat all the fruit roll-ups. When mom came home with the packages, we would like get in the bags and you would try to, I'm trying to pull the fruit roll-up bag out. I'm going to try, I knew it not to hide it under my bed because I knew he'd find it there. But you're trying to find all these creative spots, right? It's almost like Christmas vacation. You go up in the attic one day and you find something, box of fruit roll-ups from 1987, right? Like you find something. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You hide things that are valuable, you don't take things. He is, he is not insignificant. God had a purpose. God had a reason for putting him out in the field. He said, I'm going to hide you, boy. And then I'm going to call you out. And I'm going to anoint you in front of everybody. And I have great and mighty plans for you. I have a future for you, boy. People may not think I have a future for you. And there's somebody in here that the enemy has been whispering that to you. You don't have a future. Look at you. You didn't graduate from college. You got divorced. Look at you. You really think God can use you? And God is saying, I'm getting ready to anoint somebody at City on a Hill Community Church. I'm getting ready to walk up and down these aisles. And I'm ready. I'm looking back and forth. And there's somebody that I'm going to anoint. God's looking at you. Where's your oil? Where's your oil? You holding it up? Hold up your oil. God wants to move in this place, friends. I don't even know where I'm at. That's all good, though. What about the boy? Can I give you this, too? It's another picture I saw. What was it like for David when he left the house? I see a 10-year-old boy like Caleb. You know what I see him saying to his father, Jesse? Hey, Dad, am I done here yet? Can I go back to the field? Can I go back to the field now? I just want to go back with the sheep. 
where it's all good out there. I'm alone with my God. I'm going to write bars. I'm going to be the great psalmist. I'm going to write the greatest songs that the world has ever seen. He doesn't know that yet. But that's all he cares about. Do you understand something? It didn't change his posture. He went back out there. He smells like sheep dung. He's dirty. He's got the oil all over him. What do you think he did with that robe too? Do you think he saved that robe one day? Do you think he put it somewhere? Because that's what I would have done. I would have saved that as a memento. This is God. This is what you. This is a ten-year-old kid. He doesn't know. Dad, can I go back out in the field now? I want to just go tend to the sheep. I want to go see if Moses and I don't know uh, Abraham if they're being really good or Enoch. I don't know. I'm just making names up. But can I go back out in the field now? Can't you see him saying that? And he walks out there, and the, the, the Bible says, right, Rose, and the Bible says the Spirit of the Lord was on him. Now, next week, I'm skipping ahead to 19. I really, I, I promise I'm closing now. I'm doing verses 14 through 18 in a very creative way. Pastors approve this, right? So if it doesn't go well, it's on them. <laughs> I'm, no, I'm kidding. That we're, you're you're going to be, I think you're going to be like, wow, that was, that's really cool. You don't want to miss it. But look in 19. So that's why I'm skipping ahead. The next time we see him, look. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David who is with the sheep. You want a little, you want a little taste of next week? Do you want a little taste? A little, just a little morsel? Oh, the little morsel that falls off, the t- that falls off me? Okay? In what we do, how come the king is going to call this little shepherd who is playing a harp in a field why is he going to call him why does he want to see him that your job is to go read the text that's what I'm really trying to get you to do I want you to read the text this week I want you to get involved in this guy's story can you sign on for this series I'm going to go I'm going to preach like I've never preached before I'm going to preach my heart out every single week to you to make this story come alive I want you to see it, but you have to understand he has to go out in the field and prepare in the field to be fit one day to put the crown on. You know, we say, gosh, Pastor Lynn, I'm going to get in trouble for this probably too, but I think sometimes we say, God, anoint me. And what we really say is, I want a promotion. God, promote me. And God is saying, I'm not giving you a promotion. I want you to do the same job and do it really, really well. And then one day, maybe you'll get a promotion. People go, I want to do what you do. I want to speak. You really want to do what I do? You think it looks easy? You want the truth? It's not easy. It's hard. It comes at a cost. It comes at a sacrifice. You can come try to do it one week. Ask Pastor Linda when she's going to let you preach. I'm serious. Whatever it is. But do it with excellence. And that's what we're going to get into next week. Lord, Lord, I thank you for this. I thank you for this, this boy, David, that we just met, who was one day going to become king. Lord, light us on fire with his life. Father, I ask, I plead, I implore you, I pray that lives would really be changed throughout this series. Please, not for me, nothing I say, nothing I do, just because I want people to know you. I want people to be as ravenous and and, and go as hard after you as David did. I want there to be a relentless pursuit of you in City on a Hill Community Church. Lord, I want the spirit of David to hit this place, Lord, like a Category 5 hurricane, Lord. Will you hit this place, Lord, with your spirit? Move on us. We don't just want sermons. I don't just want to entertain. Lord, we want hearts changed. We want lives changed. I want to see a people that say, I need more of you in my life. And saints, all I care about, the passion you see that I have for his word, the passion we do as your pastors, I just want that to come out. I want it to be infectious. That's all I'm asking. Lord, light me on fire the way John Wesley did. He said he he used to light himself on fire, and then he'd come out and preach and let people see him burn. That's all I'm doing. You're just watching things burn out. I got next week's sermon done. I got this. I'm just, I'm going. I'm a machine. I love this. I'm living for this because I know this is the hour that this is supposed to come forth to you. I feel it in my bones. We have a treat for you now. Another There's a lot of treats in this series. We have a new song. Some of you may have heard this. From the story. Remember the story, the music, the soundtrack? This is Steve singing the David song. So I want you to just listen to the words. And I want this to be our heart's cry through this series as we travel with him to ultimately one day when he becomes king. Can you do that with me? 
All right? And just prayerfully look at things in your life. What is God speaking to you about? Where do you need to be more on fire? There's a lot of Davids in here. I know I'm not the only one that feels unqualified. Amen. Ushers. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.